signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. I waited a long time before introducing myself by name because, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't, don't really know who I am right now, the day after Thanksgiving. A weird Thanksgiving this year. Yeah. <laughs> I bought the biggest turkey expecting... Like way, way, way early, like went and put in an order for a turkey at the local uh, butcher and was expecting like my parents to to drive down from Northern California. I was expecting the whole family and we were going to do like tables in the yard for social distancing and, and being outdoors. We had to cancel all that. Well, it's an episode about either the acceptance or the dismissal of Vulcan Proverbs coming up and and one of the biggest Vulcan proverbs is don't buy your turkey well in advance of Thanksgiving. <laughs> I know. I mean I could have I could have anticipated that like either everyone in my family would hate each other by Thanksgiving or something like this would happen. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know this but your parents sent me an email today. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> Just wishing, wishing me and my wife a happy Thanksgiving and uh, and and saying a few other nice things uh, to us. It was oh, nice. Man. It was nice and out of the blue. That's very sweet of them. Uh, as soon as I read it, I flagged it as spam, and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> that shouldn't be a problem going forward. Yeah. Next time I see them, I'll see if I can delete your contact info <laughs> off their computers. That'd be a great help because I only see the volume of those messages increasing as time goes on. Oh, yeah. You're going to start seeing forward, 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 RE. Yeah. <laughs> the 1%. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, hey, uh, before we get too deep into the episode, I just wanted to bring up, we had a, uh, a version of last week's episode go out in which we misgendered gray and... I don't say we, Ben. I did. And it was an accident. It was an accident, but it's also like we both listened to the episode before it went out and didn't catch the error. And just in, in reflecting back on it, A, I like really appreciate the people that pointed it out to us because... Because of the way they pointed it out to us, I think, mostly, Across right? the board, they assumed positive intent and right. were like, hey, you might want to fix this. And we did. And we uh, and we did fix it. Uh, the version that you can download now is fixed. But I also just thought a lot about like the way culture trains you to make assumptions about somebody's gender and and like how hard it is to like deprogram that in like our own brains like i think we both are we we both try to be allies and we both have friends in the you know in the trans community and it's still like something that we're working on so um i'm glad we were able to fix it and it's a good reminder that we all uh, could be doing more work to uh to make the world a safer and more inclusive place for folks whose gender identity is not necessarily what our broken ass culture trained us to assume their gender identity is right and also i just misspoke 
Like there was, yeah. uh, there was nothing about it that was uh, of bad intent at all. And this is yeah. an especially difficult TV show to have a conversation about the way we do because I think part of the challenge of discussing characters and their associated actors on this show is that the actors and the characters are associated with not necessarily the same gender. Right. Azira being the prime example, having different pronouns in real life than right. the character. So thanks for being cool about it and not uh, not thinking we're any less of uh, of a couple of allies than we are. So thanks. I'm honestly glad that like Star Trek is enabling us to have these kinds of conversations. You know, like I think that it, it's it's been it's been too long. Well, Star Trek enables us to do nothing, Ben. Star Trek would rather <laughs> us not have this program. I'm sure. So uh, we'll continue to do what we will, uh, with or without yeah. their blessing. Well, Adam, we got to get into this episode because we've got. Uh, We've, we've got a holiday weekend here and, and you and I, less than anyone, want to spend it sitting here yelling at each other about Star Trek. Uh, this is the only thing I want to do. <laughs> I promise. Should we get into it? Yeah. Yeah, we've got to. It's, uh, you know how when there's, a, when there's, a, there's prize fighters, they fight the first time and then mm-hmm. there's a winner and then they fight the second time. If there's a different winner, there's always the third fight. Yeah. This is this is the Maybe one that decides years later. It. Yeah. <laughs> this this is going to be the unification episode that decides uh that decides everything. It's yeah. Star Trek Discovery season 3 episode 7 Unification 3. And Kirsten Bayer is kind of the perfect writer for an episode like this, right? Having uh having so many reps on Picard. She's able to Indeed. tie the the mythology together. Yeah, absolutely. And and like, I mean, we saw the title of this last week and had very little to form assumptions about. But I feel like we we called a lot of stuff like mm-hmm. in like I, I even think we name checked Coat Malat when we were talking about it. The greatest discovery, the most right Star Trek Discovery <laughs> podcast out there. Well, my my uh, my long shot Michael's mother theory was blown apart by this episode. But the thing is, Ben, I preferred your theory than what we got here. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Yikes! Well, let's get into the episode. We start uh, with a no longer first officer's log <laughs> about Michael being sort of torn between her love of the ideals of the Federation, but hating being in Starfleet. (laughs) I wish that we found out that when you're not first officer or captain, you get a limited amount of runtime on your logs because you're less significant and the storage space kind of comes at a a premium (laughs) when every person in your crew is recording logs of like 20 to 25 minutes. It's like having a free Zoom account. Yeah. We get a, a pretty a pretty steamy sex scene with her and Book. Yeah, is this the first time we've seen cloak fucking? It's like they're in one of those Brazzers moving vans with the uh, two-way mirror <laughs> in like the town square. <laughs> like they they all but cut to the exterior of Book's ship and show it rocking slightly. <laughs> if this programmable matter ship is a rockin', don't come a knockin'. I saw a car in L.A. with a Brazzers license plate frame. 
Oh my god! Uh, and it was a nice car too. Wow. Like it was a it was a new super sport like Camaro. It was wow. It was a rad car. I I got a look at the driver and I couldn't really put it together. <laughs> Must have been a production person. That's what I'm guessing. <laughs> you didn't get huge crank vibes from this motorist. No, I did not. Oh. Uh, I kind of like their uh, their little conversation where she's talking about how Spock put her on blast for her Messiah complex, mm-hmm. and uh, she kind of throws it back in in Book's face when he starts to make fun of her about it. I think yeah. I think Messiahs attract. I mean, that's why people of all religious faiths get along so well, right? Indeed, indeed. <laughs> this is an episode about workplace relationships, right? And I think, like, we've learned over seasons of TNG and DS9, like, how fraught they are, right? That's the B story of most episodes, is two people are either getting along great and run into a speed bump, or two people are getting along terribly and need to figure it out. It's like, I don't know if I noticed this before, but Star Trek is really an office-like television show. It is, yeah. Without the look to camera. <laughs> that would be a good Lower Decks episode, uh, a bottle episode like that. Yeah, the the documentary about working there. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mr. Spock is half Vulcan, half human, okay? Well, speaking of Lower Decks, Michael Burnham goes to see Ensign Tilly, who is in the science lab plugging away on the the burn problem. And uh, they have this conversation about triangulating the source based on when the ships whose black boxes they've recovered exploded. Uh, I thought it was very sweet that they name checked the USS Yelchin. Uh huh. They've got three points to uh, to do triangulation with, but this is a this is a three dimensional problem, not a two dimensional problem. So. Uh, this they still would need more data to to narrow it down to a volume of space that's actually like small enough to reasonably explore. Mary Wiseman in this episode doing the work of an actor where you're carrying as much well water as you can on those lower lids of your eyes. Like yeah. I feel like she's got to be by the by the end of this season, dehydrated. <laughs> I miss her being happy, you know? Yeah. Like, Tilly is such a uh, a buoyant character on the show. It feels like she's had a run the last few episodes of being, like, permanently about to drop that giant tear and, and not quite doing it, you know? I uh, I really agree. I mean, I think that the idea is floated in this episode that she's taking the transition to the future a lot better than a lot of the crew. And and I was kind of surprised to hear that come out of Saru's mouth. But at the same time, I really love the scene she has with Michael because she's here to address some conflict that she has with Michael Burnham. And she does it in this way that is like firm, but mm-hmm. not attacking, but not apologizing for like making it you know, bringing the issue to the fore. Like she, she's like, Michael, you fucked me over and we need to talk about like you not doing that in the future, basically. What if you hadn't made it back? What would I do? I think one of the easy traps to fall into when you're criticizing 
a show like this is to be like, why don't they just go away and leave each other alone? <laughs> like in real life, if you're having these kind of repeated conflicts with someone, you go to your separate corners and you go take some time and you never talk to them again if you're me. <laughs> but but you're like forced into this constant confrontation when you work so closely together. And yeah. especially when you're Tilly and Michael Burnham, like... Uh, there's there's a constant churn to your relationship. Living and working on a starship is a f- fucking crucible. And yeah. I mean, I think that this is an episode where Michael Burnham is like thinking about going to her own corner and right. like struggling with that, what, what that will mean for her identity. Unfortunately, we learned by the end that her own corner <laughs> is still in a shared room with with Sylvia Tilly. Yeah. So. They're still roommates. I feel like there should be more episodes about that. Just like an entire bottle episode about them. You know, oh, you didn't put your cereal bowl back in the replicator. And so now I have to deal with it. We're not seeing them in their quarters together, I think, ever this season. I can't recall a time where they've shared that space. (laughs) They have like a, a, a custody calendar where Tilly's in it at certain times and Michael's in it at other times, but never at the same time. Yeah, the uh, programmable matter makes it an easy, smudge-free way to separate your room <laughs> with, uh, with a little line of programmable tape. They, uh, they know about this Starfleet project called SB-19 that was a big experiment that had uh, stuff all over known space that, uh, you know, would have gotten some some good data that they could use to corroborate the black box information that they have and also start to point an arrow at the source of the burn. And so Michael Burnham and Saru kick it to the Admiral, who is just like, at this point, he's got to be like, really? Every time you ask me for something, it's like a fucking diplomatic crisis. Come on! The way that this scene is blocked uh, is something that I took a lot of notice of like the space station is always behind the admiral and it's always glowing and like he looks like the future and they look like they're in a hospital (laughs) like that there's a there's a compositional uh conflict there between them as well that that like acts as this visual language i love the way that he plays this this kind of like i i would rather you not want to go talk to Navarre, which is what we learn the uh, planet Vulcan has been renamed as. I wish we checked in from time to time with that guy at the listening (laughs) post that they left behind. (laughs) Do you think it's harder for him now that he's made contact? You know, like now he has expectations of more contact. But he's still totally alone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or did they bring him with? I would like to follow up with that dude. That would have been the saddest moment. Michael and Saru are like, okay, uh, this has been great. Thanks for hanging up the flag. Uh, Enjoy your promotion. (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) You're just going to leave me here? (laughs) (laughs) I'm so lonely. Can we like uh, trade books or something? Because I've read all of these like 10 times. They think we forced them to cause the burn. Because this is how it works in the future, you must prompt him, 
right? He's not just going to give you information. You're going to bring up a thing and then he's going to uh, give over enough information for you to take action with. Enough information to hang yourself with, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And the idea is that that Vulcan, the planet, uh, is still a planet. It hasn't been destroyed by a Romulan miner. J.J. Abrams has has not... Uh, had anything to do with this version of Vulcan. What has happened to it is that it's now a shared space between the Romulans and the Vulcans, and it's known as Navarre now. Yeah. Been a long time gone from planet Vulcan. (laughs) If you left your love on planet Vulcan, been a long time gone from... Is that a song that they sing in the future? (laughs) Yes. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, the I, I I think this is very interesting continuity because it's kind of pulling threads from Star Trek Colin Picard and unification episodes of TNG and, you know, projecting it forward. And I feel like it's I mean, like this episode even like has citations in it, right? Like they pull footage of of Leonard Nimoy for this episode. I've got a question that I don't think either of us could answer, but I still want to propose it. Do you think that only someone like Kirsten Bayer is allowed to do an episode like this, allowed to write it? Oh, you mean like because it has such big implications for the the universe and continuity? And because she is like she's known as someone as as an architect of that kind of thing. Yeah. Like like that she could be the only choice for something like this to con- to further that continuity in some way. Like I wonder if someone in the room is has got ideas about this and they're like no we're going to let we're going to let Kirsten deal with that in episode 7. Like yeah. Like are you allowed to further continuity if you're of a certain status on the on the show and and you're not if you're someone else? I really wonder about that. I do too. I mean Having talked to a few people who were um, writers, t- television writers in the TNG era where there was like a send us your script kind of policy, mm-hmm. you know, like that's what the show Bible was for. They sent it out to freelance television writers. People that weren't in the room were doing s- scripts on spec and sending it in. And if, if they liked it, they might produce it or they might rewrite it with the room and mm-hmm. produce it or, you know, split it into two episodes and, you know, use ideas in other places. Um, and I feel like now in season three, Discovery feels like the kind of show that could accommodate that sort of arrangement in a way that, you know, like you couldn't you couldn't like just have a guest writer come in for season two, episode five and write something because it's like this super multi-threaded continuity that has to work across all 14 episodes in the season. Right. But like this, this season they are doing monster of the week and I feel like you could get away with it, but I I think you're, you're probably right. There's probably like people that get to wear the universe building hats in, in the room and right. if you're anointed in that way, you write an episode like this. And if you're not, you're writing a more discreet episode that doesn't have huge, like, earth-shattering implications or episodes where you're writing characters off or whatever. Right. 
So Admiral Just for Men is dropping some knowledge on them. SB19 was an experimental transportation system. Yeah, kind of Stargate looking, right? Like it's uh, big hoops in space that you fly your ship through. Right, it looks a little bit like a like a Hot Wheels track <laughs> situation. <laughs> yeah, you can loop the loop. And what happened was uh, was Vulcan at the time was like, not in my backyard. This is too dangerous. <laughs> and the Federation was like, yes, in your backyard. Keep going. Yeah. And so the the conflict is that the Federation think that the Vulcans thought that the Federation forced them into creating the burn. Right, because SB-19 was a Vulcan science project. And because the Federation was like, like uh, there's a description of the Federation as this like thing that has gotten so big and so spread out and dilithium is actually like becoming a scarce resource because of it that they're like kind of desperate to solve for warp travel. Like what could we do to get around in a future where dilithium is less and less easy to come by? You saw the waste in the Federation in the season finale of Picard when Riker shows up with 200 of the same giant ship. <laughs> right. Incredibly wasteful. Totally. And I mean, if you have to like provision all of those ships with dilithium, I wish I understood like, I feel like the the utility of dilithium is a little bit obscure and probably intentionally so. Like, do you use it up or does it, does like... Because they also talk about like recrystallizing it. So is it just that it's crystalline structure breaking down is the problem? It's hard to reverse that process or something. Has anyone ever accidentally eaten it thinking it was a jump stick? <laughs> like the, something about the color and the makeup of it is also confusing yeah. over the years. And how radioactive is it? Because it's sometimes you get in that box with it and it, uh, you know, you're bubbling right. green and other times you're in TNG and they're just like pulling it out of a drawer like it ain't no thing. Admiral Pepper sees this as an opportunity. He takes a good look at Michael Burnham and goes, hey, you're a Spock. How about we use you diplomatically? Yeah. I, I think it's sort of Admiral Inception. Right. Because Michael Burnham characteristically is like, shut up, Saru. This is the most important thing. And... And, right. you know, riding for we've got to do something about this. And the Admiral kind of is left to think he came up with this by himself. That's what you want to do as a subordinate. Right. <laughs> that's some that's some good subordination right there. As opposed to the insubordination that is usually her bag. I mean, she came she came by her subordination via insubordination, I would say. This is the first uh, evocation of of Spock, this episode, and, and it's a repetition that we get throughout because the next scene, we understand that since arriving in the future, Michael Burnham has never permitted herself to look into whatever happened to him. What? <laughs> <laughs> She's an ancestry edger, Ben. <laughs> What do we know about Michael Burnham? Like, she's so driven. She's so curious. She's so 10 other things. Yeah, but she's also so, like, so much at, uh, at the mercy of her emotions in a way that makes her feel so uncomfortable. So, I feel like I, I kind of liked that. I, I, I felt like that, that tracked for me. 
within the first five minutes of Discovery parking at Federation HQ, like they crashed the Wi-Fi <laughs> with the, the Google searches uh, on all the Ancestry sites as soon as they arrived. That would have been an interesting story beat to have everybody like learning about what happened to their family, trying to see if they have family still. Because like if you're a Vulcan, right, like and your people live like 200 years, you're not that many generations removed from your own right. family. I, I mean, everybody lives a lot longer in the future, right? Like even for humans, you wouldn't be that far removed. If you're edging into that way of thinking, Ben, uh, the episode and its dialogue will remind you <laughs> the crew is a family. Right. It's all the family you need. Uh, she has a little flashback about the last conversation she had with Spock and we get a little Ethan Peck for our trouble and also like young Spock, young Michael Burnham in this flashback. And, uh, and that's when we get to her quarters where she is with Book watching file footage of uh, of Ambassador Spock from Unification, I think part two. I want to say this this clip is from every series gets a moment where we watch an episode inside another episode, <laughs> and this is Star Trek Discovery's yeah. moment. I loved it. Proud big sister. Yeah, she is just busting over the the man Spock became. The union of the Vulcan and the Romulan people will not be achieved by politics or by diplomacy. The B story of this episode is going to be the maybe promotion of Sylvia Tilly. Right. And whether uh, she will or won't. <laughs> <laughs> will she or won't she, number one. Tilly knows how insane this is. She basically says it in this scene. She's an ensign. I feel like she should be like... Why don't you at least promote me to lieutenant just so that like most of the people I'm commanding around, if I do this, aren't my superior officers? We cut to outside of the door in this scene and we see Lieutenant Nelson with a glass up to it, <laughs> listening in. And as soon as Saru makes the offer, Nelson's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I, I liked the turn of phrase are, are you, you asking, asking me because i'm qualified or because i'm compliant fucking a and i think that this does really uh underline a, a thing that you've been talking about a lot which is like what is what does saru think he is ever doing <laughs> as the captain of this ship i mean we love tilly as a character yeah uh but we don't need her you know like you and i don't need her to do our work. Uh, like, we don't need to depend on her in our real lives, but in the context of this show, uh, it seems incredibly dangerous. Like, she's great in a number of ways, but those aren't the ways that you need someone to be great as your XO. And I think this might underscore the difference between, like, this is a very season one idea, I think. The idea of a science ship versus the idea of any other kind a Federation starship. Right. Like, Ship of Nerds was what they sold us in the beginning, uh -huh. uh, alongside the idea that this is going to be run in a very different way from what you're used to. And I don't feel like we've gone back to that idea very often, but I think it would have helped me to accept the idea of this promotion if that were threaded through it a little bit more. Like, we do things differently here. Uh, XOs aren't going to be the same as they would be on an exploration 
uh, style ship or mission? It would be like one line of dialogue for the Admiral in a previous episode to say like, we're still going to treat Discovery's primary mission as science. Um, yeah. To God, to that would fix it, wouldn't it? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> I think that it is both a an interesting challenge to pre- present the character of Tilly with, and uh, if if the long term goal is for Saru to confront the idea that he's like not actually that good at this, I feel like it's also good for that, right? Um, but it also like we're still you know we're halfway through this season and wondering if this is just a story stunt. And uh, and feeling misgivings about it if that is how they're playing it. Saru has done nothing but step on extremely long rakes <laughs> this season. <laughs> yeah. This would appear to be uh, a red rake. A, a normal rake would just hit him in like the Adam's apple. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, the new ship looks cool as hell, Adam. I feel like we have barely gotten glimpses of it since it since it's refit but the uh the discovery a uh we get a couple a couple more shots of it of the exterior in this episode and i I like the way she looks disco long boy is solid yeah i like when you see the schematic of the ship on on different screens around yeah you can tell like the verticality of it is extreme totally totally (laughs) it's a long ass ship they make the jump to Navarre and uh, the, you know, in orbit, there are orbital defenses that wake up and take note of their presence. And uh, they're hailed by the president of Navarre. Uh, she introduces herself as Trina and uh, sings them a little song. Pull over them, the cell's too fat. 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 I thought diplomatically, it was a strange decision of her to pivot right into sex rap. <laughs> yeah, but uh, a nice reminder of uh, of late 90s sex rap, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, she gets right down to it. Like, she's a classy lady for this. She wants to let them down in person. Permission denied, she says. Thanks yeah. for coming. We're excited about Michael Burnham being here. Very, very cool. It's like... You know, meeting the sibling of a founding father, kind of. This is a very Frank Stallone <laughs> situation. Uh, we're very curious about your propulsion system. That's neat. Uh, would have been really nice to have come up with that maybe like 122 years ago. Prevent a lot of hassle. It was weird when, like, after an awkward beat, Michael walks around her station and goes, but I'm Michael Spock. <laughs> Spock's brother? (laughs) That's how the names work, right? It's been a long time. A very long time. Um, She kind of like jumps in. She she jumps in front of Saru and she's like, you can't say no uh, because I'm going to tekal and ket you. I tekal and ket you, she says. Trina is uh, very upset by this because uh, she's forced into allowing this. This is the sort of this is the sort of Vulcan thing that you can do to another yeah. Vulcan that really boxes them. I in. mean, the only defense against Decal and Ket is sticking your fingers in your pointy ears and saying, la 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 la, I can't hear you. 
to Cal and Ket is like a measure of a man you <laughs> what are you gonna do <laughs> you mad bro <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so when Trina leaves, Saru is like, what the fuck just happened? Uh, <laughs> did you just mutiny again? I can't really tell. And right. Michael Burnham <laughs> is like, it's sort of like a, uh, a pick and pull, but for science, you invoke this and they have to honor it. And the deal is I'm going to have to defend my hypothesis like a fucking PhD defense uh, in front of the Vulcan Science Academy. I thought it's interesting that they establish Michael's citizenship in this scene. Like she has yeah. all of these privileges because she graduated from the Science Institute and is technically a citizen of of Navarre. What sucks is that she hasn't paid her alumni dues in like 900 years. <laughs> and holy shit. Yeah. Uh, that is a big, big bill to to reconcile. I loved the scene where the Navarans beam on to Disco like they own the place. Like they're using their own transporter, but entering Disco's transporter room and just like in full stride when they come aboard. That's a class move, isn't it? Because they could beam anywhere. Right. Yeah. It's a it's very polite to beam on to the to the uh, to the transporter room specifically. I bet that really grinds the Romulans gears though, right? Like, oh, I want to beam aboard in like a mop closet and then sneak around for a little while. It's it's like champagne and a paper cup, Ben. <laughs> so things start moving pretty fast here. And here's one of the questions I had between now until the end of the episode is I did not have a good grasp on the passage of time because it seems like as soon as the delegation beams aboard, we are just sprinting through the story because it feels like the the trial happens fast. We're meeting new characters almost immediately. Some of them are old characters. It's wild. Yeah. The panel that is going to be taking part in the Tikal and Kit leaves the room and Michael is just talking to Trina and Trina's like, hey, so um, I don't know if you realize how big a bite you just bit off, but if uh, if you reveal yourself to be full of shit on this one, you're basically going to have destroyed your own reputation on a planetary scale. Um, but you do have a lawyer beaming aboard. It is the character in Discovery that is known for making the most dramatic of entrances. So uh, I'll leave you to it. <laughs> she only beams with a veil down <laughs> for maximum effect. Yeah. Michael's mom has become a Kawat Malat. Uh, my note here verbatim is, oh, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. I, I got to say, I was very excited. I, I was especially excited that my theory was wrong. I love Sonia Son, and she can do no wrong with me. I loved seeing her on screen. I was just a little bit beat by the moment. <laughs> <laughs> it comes out of left field. Like, I... I want to know more about how it happened because, you know, she didn't make it back to Terralysium, but did she come back like way earlier than Michael Burnham did? That's another question I had about time is how long has she been here? Because it takes a while to become a Kawat Malat, right? There's got to be some training involved. She mentions she when when she traveled through time, she reappeared at that uh, at the gas planet. Right. Where they where they caught her originally. That had to be a disappointment for her. <laughs> this fucking place. Ah. 
So the deal is uh, there have been some modifications to the way this to Cal and Ket uh, right goes down, which uh, accommodates the fact that Romulans are now part of Navarre society. And one of those modifications that it has to be a co-op Malat doing your your uh, advocacy here and uh, Gabrielle explains to Michael, like, this is not actually great news for you. Like, everybody thinks that uh, you're going to lose. And that's why I'm here. <laughs> we bind ourselves to lost causes. All, are all public defenders co-op a lot? <laughs> I have a very good friend who is a federal public defender. And uh, it is really hard work to do because she defends people that yeah. are like, like definitely getting fucked over by the federal government and other people that are like, this is a bad person who did a really bad thing, but everybody deserves their day in court and and capable uh, defense. It's a, it's it's a really hard job, and she doesn't even get to take a sword to work. You know? Yeah, I wish I could do that. <laughs> you could. You could. We could become those kinds of Star Trek fans that have like a batleth hanging on our wall. Mm. I got a I got a new I got a new home office. I could. I could start decorating with batleths. I feel like as soon as a batleth goes on the wall, it's going to end up being like that uh, Randall Peltzer situation where as soon as you close your front door, the batleth's going to fall and cut the head off of a cat. <laughs> it's called Chekhov's batleth. Can you buy a Coat Malat sword on the internet right now? I, I couldn't possibly explain what Star Trek chooses to and to not sell as a merch item anymore. I can't find a co-op Malat sword on the internet, and now I'm very angry. So Trina and Saru do an exposition walk that I think is fairly revealing. Like, and this happens a couple of times this episode. Saru is of the opinion, isn't the Federation great? And Trina's <laughs> like, you seem pretty confident about that opinion for someone who just got here. Like, answering <laughs> not quite in the affirmative, not quite joining in on that opinion and it's not just because she's a rom either like i think this is emblematic of a feeling really that that pervades this season is is like is the federation the same federation that has the reputation that the discovery's banking on right i mean discovery spent the entire last season finding out that the federation had a very dark secret in section 31 so they're their faith having not been shaken is pretty remarkable. Also remarkable, it just occurred to me that a mother and a daughter where the mother was adopted by the Romulans and the daughter was adopted by the Vulcans. Yeah. That's fun. That is a uh, tough holiday table to crack right there. I drive a Dodge Stratus! This is a scene where Michael does kind of open up about all of the all of the misgivings she has. And yet she is a thousand percent sure of her case. And she's like, you know, we're making this argument to Vulcans and Vulcans use logic. And since this is the logical path, it's going to work. And Gabrielle is like, you have no idea how much the world has changed in the 930 years. And she does the like high level description of the three people on the uh, to Colin Cat panel. And uh, we've got a Romulan, a half Romulan, half Vulcan, and a Vulcan. And they're all going to be bringing their own biases and agendas to the table. This is as much politics as it is science. And there's no way to 
to disassociate those two things. Yeah, I like that we get a a, a northern headloaf here, a Naraj. That's fun. <laughs> now that guy's a ruffle. Yeah. It's kind of it's kind of picking up on that same theme from last episode that we were talking about, like my thing is the most important thing because it's the most important to me. Why isn't it the most important to my boss? And Yeah. Is every child on Navarre an only child? <laughs> is that what's happening? Yeah, it might might be the case. They uh just to keep the population under control, they limit it to one. Which you might have to do if you're merging two entire planets. Right. They start the trial and... Programmable matter really comes in handy when you're setting the scene for a trial like this that's an away game for all the all the Navarians, right? Yeah. I wonder if they... I wonder how reconfigurable the hull is because they've shown books ship like break apart like Legos and come back together several times that they're in one of those edge of the saucer section rooms where the ceiling is like way higher on one side than it is on the other. Could they just like have the ceiling go up to to parallel with the floor if they wanted? Why not? It's kind of <laughs> they've kind of turned the ship into Odo. We have a million questions. <laughs> I definitely got uh like more than measure of a man vibes. What I got was uh Klingon Bar Mitzvah vibes. All the accoutrement for the trial are very uh, old looking and 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 pain inducing almost. Yeah, that is certainly true. Thank you, quorum members and peers, Naraj, Shira, and Vakir. The trial opens with Vakir, the Vulcan member of the panel, basically saying like, hey, uh, this is a huge waste of time. You're going to lose and we should probably just cancel this all right now. And so uh, not a great start for Michael making her case to these people. No, I don't know why this came as a surprise to me that the that the middle one was going to be the leader. But obviously, Vikir's the leader and and the most puritanical. He says that he's the leader like like I feel like five minutes in to this yeah. conversation in a way that I was like, oh, I didn't realize that you guys had ranks. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like the Romulan guy comes out a, to an early lead as the unlikely ally that Michael Burnham has here. Like, yeah, he's kind of writing for like, yeah, let's like give him the information. Like, let's see what what they can do with this. And the the Navarians feel like they really got, uh, pardon the pun, burned by the Federation because mm-hmm. they were working on SB-19, trying to get it up and running. And there was like a ton of pressure on them to do it. And then the burn happened and they felt that SB-19 probably had something to do with it. So there is sort of a joint phenomenon of being ashamed of having had a hand in the burn and also pissed off that the Federation was kind of like, uh, you know, whipping them to push this research in a way that maybe like was unsafe or whatever. It's surprising that like you think it's going to be a conflict between Michael and the panel, but it yeah. almost immediately pivots into infighting among the panel. Right. The panel's kind of like all looking for ways to get one up on each other in this argument. And if aligning themselves with Michael temporarily suits that, then they're perfectly willing to do it. But it all almost feels like it doesn't matter that Michael is there. They're just, they would be doing this, you know 
for free without right. her. Yeah. But we cut away from this uh, for a brief scene in engineering. Um, this is an episode that Adira does not appear in. And I wondered about that if there was like a budgetary reason or something. I, I am really glad a, that this season is not entirely about a character that they introduced in episode two, because I think that there is like a version of Star Trek discovery that would have gone that direction with Adira. But I also wish she felt like a little bit more part of the crew. Like, the fact that she's never in engineering once in this episode feels like weird and noteworthy and like something that should have been either explained or dealt with somehow. I mean, my observation is, is the same except for mirror universe, Giorgio, who I expected, uh, I expected Michael's mom to run into at every turn, every turn. And we never get that moment. Yeah. I feel like the inevitable martial arts fight between Sonia San and Michelle Yeoh that we will get in this season is going to be really epic. They fight for the true motherhood of Michael Burnham. I kind of thought Stamets might kill Sylvia Tilly when she tells him about the promotion she's been offered. He's been so uh, softened this season. I kind of didn't expect that. This is season three, Stamets. Yeah. I I felt like he was kind of winding up to do it and then they got interrupted. But yeah, he is like trying to wrap his mind around the Sylvia is going to be bossing him around. I mean, this they've also described her being positioned as first officer as like a an interim position, like while Saru finds somebody who is actually qualified. So... The case could be made that it's like not that big a deal because they don't really have a job yet. They've got some time to, to you know, try some stuff for fun. Man, I guess it's it's interesting. Like in a in an episode that's so dense, we're trying to like expand these moments into into more than what we get because we're getting we're getting yeah. very small vignettes into the periphery of of the trial. Mm-hmm. I could have used this being unifications part three and part four, to be honest. Right. Well, I mean, there's a chance with an even amount of unifications that we'll never know who the champion is. Right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you don't want that. To Cal and Kent does not go well, Ben. Yeah. In the hallway, Michael's mother, Gabrielle, is like, why aren't you telling them about all your misgivings about Starfleet and being part of the Federation? And she's like, that's the opposite of what they sent me here to do. <laughs> like, I told them that I was like a little uncomfortable with advocating on their behalf, given given my misgivings. But since I agreed to the job, I'm going to fucking do it. And Gabriel is like, no, you need to like, this is all like radical candor is the name of the game. You're not going to win these people over if you're not being honest with them. And this isn't a trial that's about whether or not Michael is going to get the data like it's as if she herself is on trial as well. Right. Like her integrity is what they're really trying to get to the bottom of. The scene that follows, it feels like Michael has her pants pulled down by her mom in public and it's very embarrassing. I orphaned her. But this is also the scene that made me think, are all moms co-op Malat? 
<laughs> because because she like says the wrong thing at the wrong time in public. Like, yeah. <laughs> she knows everything and she doesn't know when to keep Do it to herself. Do you want to tell your friends about your little SB19 theory? <laughs> it's great. I love that. I love that detail. I also love this different gear for Sonequa Martin Green. Like uh it's a variation on on the emotions we've gotten from her up until now. The I don't know, like like the double cross at her by someone she's supposed to trust. The the defense of herself and the need to get a thing that she desires. Like there's four conflicts going on inside her character in one moment and you're reading that on her face entirely i think it's a great performance this episode it's an awesome scene i feel like we also start to understand why the navarre people are so hesitant about this like when they say like you're asking us to like show show starfleet this data when we think it caused the burn and starfleet was the one that was like pushing as hard as they could to get us to do this project. So like, you know, we invented the atom bomb and we're now terrified of whose hands it might fall into. And you're asking us to just give it to the people who made us develop it. That's bad. The climax of the courtroom scene is, and, and God, like I can't imagine what this episode looks like on paper because this is a lot of dialogue. Like the, yeah. the entire episode is mostly dialogue, I think. Like nothing Michael's mom is saying is wrong. It's just that it hurts because it's in public. Yeah. And Michael is defending herself from accusations that she doesn't really care about the Federation by saying, well, Spock subscribed to the idea that when you love the Federation, you let it go. <laughs> and then Michael withdraws her original request for the trial to begin with and just walks. She like drops the gong mallet and leaves. Yeah, she she gong shows herself. She grabs the giant cane and pulls herself off of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> I love the Saru react in this moment because yeah. I feel like Zaru didn't want to go on this mission in the first place. And now she just like flushed the re reason for the season down the toilet. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> like their conflict as characters is, is so good because it's always a surprise. Like everything she does surprises Saru. Let me clue you in on something that, that we've popularized in the 23rd century, the guilt trip. Because <laughs> that's how she leaves. She's like, you know what? You don't just do whatever you want. I'll give you my trust. We'll see yeah. what you do with that. Well, yeah, and and the argument is like unification is like this huge achievement that your two peoples have made. And if if I'm creating a level of bickering over this data that is going to result in jeopardizing that then then I don't want to do it. That's a that's a price that's too high to pay. And this this really impresses the president. Trina is uh is the one that that was was won over. She didn't Michael Burnham didn't have to win over the panel. She had to win over the president. And uh and so she gets her data. Is every president we've encountered this season has have they all been women? Let's see. There's leader. The leader on the Trill planet was a lady. Uh-huh. The uh, the the leader of Earth was a lady. 
Right. But she was kind of like a, she wasn't the president. She was like a cop. I don't think we met the president of Earth. I think maybe president is the wrong word for me to use, but like the the ambassador of yeah, the, tip the place of the that we're in. Yeah. 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 That's been the thing this year, huh? Yeah. Later in Burnham's quarters, uh, Tilly's nowhere around, which is good because uh, enter Gabrielle with a bit of news. She's got the data. She's got it on one of those big Lassie hard drives with the orange case. Yeah, I was uh, <laughs> I was remembering like that part of the late 90s where like something would be on a specific kind of zip drive and there were like yeah. four different kinds and the the device you needed to plug into your computer was like $250 and had like a SCSI connection. I feel like most of the refitting they did on the ship was to just plugs and and <laughs> cables, right? Yeah, everything is USB-C now. That's great. You know, yeah. you can charge your computer with the same thing you charge your Nintendo with. Michael's mom giveth and she taketh away. She giveth the data, but taketh away herself because she's staying behind on Navarre. My question for you, Ben, is why? She's loving her co-op malat lifestyle, you know? I don't get it. (laughs) What would she do if she came with? I mean, Michael's her daughter. Like pulling them apart the the first time after reuniting them was one of the most painful moments of Michael's life. But now they can be in touch. Now Now they know where to find each other. Now they've got each other's email addresses. Like, she spent this entire episode kicking Michael out of the proverbial nest. She's not going to move into the nest now. Yeah, I guess so. All right. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think I think it's interesting where this episode places its emotional resonance because, like, we get so much of it in the courtroom scene between them. And yeah. this scene between them felt a little flat in a way that I found, like, this is a meaningful moment. Where are the tears here? It was more emotional in court. Yeah. I think that gives credibility to your opinion, though, which is like, if if they're going to be in touch, then this isn't really goodbye. Yeah. I was also very relieved by this scene because I think that there was a chance that they could write the Navars as a new potential adversary for the Federation. Like if they'd full stop, like we are withholding this data, like thanks for not breaking our planet up or whatever, but we... Like, we don't fuck with you, and we, like, we're not even open to it. And then the rest of the season is them having to go find a different data set that they can use to to solve the mystery. But Navarre is this, like, bad guy planet. And I was, like, really relieved because I feel like that is a kind of writing that I'm really tired of. The every everything is setting up conflict that we can mine later, like, mm-hmm. if we need to. It's like that Nintendo Wii bowling game where you can set up like 200 pins in a giant triangle. Yeah, and I feel like you can hit later. I feel like prestige drama writers rooms are doing that as just a reflex lately. And Mm. the fact that we're leaving this episode with like many problems unsolved, but some problems solved is a very refreshing kind of television to me. Say yes to the unsolved problem. (laughs) <laughs> is what you're advocating, Ben. Yeah. And what the crew of the Discovery is advocating is for Tilly to say yes to the number one dress. This is nice. 
It's a nice scene. This is a scene Adira should have been in. Not because she has like a close relationship with Tilly yet, but because she's... If she's part of the crew, this is where she would be. Right. Just have her in there. Instead, she's in she's in her quarters screaming at Gray about something <laughs> viola related. <laughs> I never wanted to learn this instrument. <laughs> this fucking sucks. I spend half my salary on horse hair now. Why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, almost as an afterthought. Michael's staying too. Yeah. Like (laughs) he enters with the data and kind of crashes Tilly's big moment. This is the scene with all of the tears though. Almost a hangover of the tears from the scene with Michael and her mother uh, in this, in this moment, because it is waterworks with Michael and Tilly, Michael giving her the big thumbs up. I don't feel threatened or undercut by your decision. (laughs) I was a mess. I, I, I got, I got very misty watching this scene. It's because Michael's mutinied way more powerful personalities than Tilly. Like, Michael has Tilly exactly where she wants her. Like, this is not going to be a problem. Hopefully, I won't have to shoot you, Sylvia. (laughs) But in the ultimate burn, Tilly is going to switch beds with Michael in their quarters. Yeah. That's the worst. I mean, a lot of discussion of, uh, of new room assignments in this moment. It's not like Michael's spending a lot of time in that bed. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? She's uh, she's spending a lot of time in that shuttle bay. Yeah. And uh, that is where the button is. Michael and Book talk about what are the implications of, of this because now we're kind of an item and I don't want you to have to hang out in the keister of my starship all the time, Book. But that's sort of where you're at at the moment. I I had I didn't spot who directed this episode uh, the first time I watched it through, and this last shot I was convinced meant it was a Frakes. <laughs> oh yeah, that looks like John Dudkowski. Yeah, is the director of this episode. Clearly, uh, clearly working in the Frakes style. I mean, you wanna you wanna learn how to paint by watching Joy of Painting. Mm-hmm. You wanna learn how to direct a Star Trek episode. You watch all the Frakes. Yeah. I can't remember if it was Reddit or Twitter, but somebody shared a video with it was an interview with the guy that played Gowron. And mm-hmm. he was saying that Frakes is the director that uh he worked with to come up with the Gowron eyes. Like hmm? that was basically Frakes directing him to like make that character as crazy as he could and and in so doing, finding Gowron. Good job, Frakes. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? It felt like a pretty strong episode in all the ways that Discovery continues to succeed. Uh, It looks and feels great. I was unclear about what changed Michael Burnham's mind about staying as a crew person, really. She could have become a co-op mulat at the end of this episode. That part still seems a little squishy. Like, I don't... I don't know what happened this episode that finally tipped her over back into Starfleet uh, because she hasn't looked at the data yet Right. when she makes that decision. So that would seem to be the thing that would be the tip, but there's not that yet. It's just the hope of what might be there. And I don't understand still why why her mom is staying behind. That That didn't work for me either. But like... I think this was one of the better Sonequa Martin-Green episodes of the series. 
Like this was all on her shoulders and she carried it great. Yeah, it felt like a in the tradition of Lawyer Picard, but a whole new kind of mode for that sort of Star Trek episode. I also liked the tie in with the Picard mythology, a, a more direct line between the two new Star Trek shows I thought was well done and interesting. But yeah, I would say I like the episode, but with some reservations. I liked it too. Um I do my best not to absorb other people's opinions of this show uh, while we're watching it, especially mm-hmm. in between my viewing and us talking about it on mic, you know, just in being on the internet in the last day and a half, I have seen stuff that led me to believe that this episode was quite controversial. I, I didn't want to get to the bottom of that. I like, I have pointedly avoided wading into whatever that was. You couldn't even say what the controversy is? Yeah, like I, it, it surprised me. I was like, did I miss something about it? Like I I wondered like, am I am I not doing a good job? Oh, I wanna tell you, Ben, we'll find out after this episode drops. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, and people will stop listening to the podcast and I'll have to, uh, I'll have to move into a van down by the river. Cool. But whence the controversy, I don't, I don't quite get. Because I thought it was a pretty strong episode, and uh, like any episode of television, had a couple of problems here and there. But overall, I found it quite enjoyable. I still like New Trek. Yeah, give me all the New Trek. Yeah, that was uh, like literally was going to be my tweet reaction to this episode. Was I like Star Trek? You know, <laughs> period. Oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to uh, see if we uh, have any cute priority one messages, though? Oh, yeah. I'm on my way there. I've got a weird hard drive full of them. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Our first message is from Ariel, and it is to you and me, unless it's to someone else named Adam and Ben. I'm going to make some assumptions (laughs) here off the top. The message goes like this. I will probably never watch any of these new Star Treks, and I am so thankful for Yins. <laughs> Not only providing a playful and colorful description of everything I haven't seen with my eyes, but can and do see in my mind. The enthusiasm is palpable, and I just can't say how much I love it. Thank you for all that you do. Aww. Keep on keeping on. Ariel got to be from Pittsburgh, right? If she's dropping Yins on us, isn't that how that works? Yeah. This is one of my favorite Johns I've ever read on the show. Oh, that's a Philadelphia thing, isn't it? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that is a Philadelphia thing. I, I, would, I don't think that they're anti-John. In, in I don't know. I really like Ariel's message, and I don't want to insult them by uh, by yeah. misappropriating John. Just uh, just put some french fries in a sandwich and... Uh... And make make amends. Say eight Hail Marys and call it good. <laughs> uh, we have another priority one message from Eric of the Now to Eric of the Future. A rare uh, a rare time travel message that's going in the correct direction. Uh, goes like this. There's a tale of some lads coming to a wall that seemed too high to climb. They took their hats and tossed them over the wall so they had no choice but to climb over the wall. I just finished season one, episode 11, and I want to stop. But yeah, I still like it. I'm so confused. 
Future Eric, I hope you have stuck with it and find this metaphorical hat. Wow. I feel like that was like a hat on a hat tossed over a wall. Eric, really not a fan of uh, the Mirror Universe, it sounds like. I guess so. Is that what episode 11 was? Well, I'm looking at the uh, at the notes on this one, and, it, and it, the requested date was sometime before you decide to abandon Discovery. <laughs> I hate the Mirror Universe in all versions of Star Trek, says Eric. Yeah, I mean, the Mirror Universe is, uh, is definitely a divisive topic. Look... Star Trek's not perfect, and it's and all parts of it aren't for everyone. It's okay to be a, a cafeteria trekker, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's also okay to get a priority one message. I would encourage you to do so by heading to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Uh, looks like we're booked up for next week's episode, and then the calendar is clear. So get those messages in if you'd like to have one on The Greatest Discovery. And we sure appreciate folks that do. You just know some crazy shit's going to happen as we get near the finale of the season. You want to get your P1s in for those. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never-frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for Below the Belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit, plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality, and this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off, plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I did. I'm going to give it to Vakir for suddenly announcing that he's the chair of the inquiry, like halfway through it. Uh, that just really made me laugh and felt like uh, that's in the record now. Yeah, that's, that's why you want to do it that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he as much said it at Michael as he did at his two co-panelists because it clearly rankled them. And he was definitely trying to get under their skin. So Fakir was my Edward Larkin for that reason. How about you? Hmm. Uh, I am going to give my Edward Larkin to Michael Burnham, but not for reasons you may assume. (laughs) I think think Book has maximum confidence in the ship's ability to cloak, which is why I think he's got to be super comfortable boning down on a ship in the cargo bay. The reason I'm giving the the uh, Edward Larkin to Michael Burnham is that she can't possibly have the same amount of confidence <laughs> in in the cloak, and yet she still gets down with Book yeah. on Book's ship, knowing what could happen if the cloak drops for some reason. I think that's great yeah. of her. She doesn't mind being the center of attention. <laughs> no, no, she's great. She's not. She's not worried. No. She's chill as hell. She's not distracted by the, by her many concerns. Not in the slightest. That's that's a very admirable thing these days. So, Michael Burnham. Nice. Uh, did you find a promo anywhere? I did not. Thank you so much for asking me. <laughs> Sounds like you did. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I flipped to the uh, the final couple minutes of the Ready Room program and saw a a mug-centric teaser for the next episode. Okay. It is she and Culber going around and around in Six Bay. It's kind of grilling her on her medical situation. Hmm. He is standing toe-to-toe with a character we have come to recognize as like a, a, a formidable verbal opponent. Absolutely. Pretty good scene we got. Does she bat her eyelashes at him and try and get him to glitch out? <laughs> <laughs> That's just something that happens to everyone. If I could do that every room I walked into, I would do it because I would want to make sure that I wasn't surrounded by holograms. Well, here's the pitch of the Section 31 show. 
is that season three of Discovery is a Romulan plot, <laughs> and she's inside the future imperfect box that the Romulan set up. Damn. And uh, and none of this is real. Wow. She blinks at everyone and turns the whole thing off. <laughs> And then season four of Discovery is them actually exiting the wormhole for real. (laughs) (laughs) And we get to play it all over again. Wow. Rinse, repeat. Yeah. Great. Kirsten Bayer's like, uh, I'm going to call security and have you escorted from the writer's room. Your ideas are not welcome. (laughs) Your ideas are insane and bad. Uh, Yeah. Maybe maybe make a comic book out of those. (laughs) Yeah, that, that's a lot safer there. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that, but we're going to have to leave it with Rob's from here. Uh, thank you for tuning in uh, to this episode of The Greatest Discovery. And uh, looking forward to next week. So looking forward to next week. Not being on a holiday weekend. Thank you so much for not scheduling it on a holiday weekend. <laughs> The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia. Go check out his YouTube page. It's fantastic. And while you're checking things out, why not discover some of our old episodes? We covered Picard. We covered every season of Disco, Lower Decks, some comic books. We've got some fantastic interviews in there. It's a whole lot of fun. And don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly. He's the card daddy. Thank you, Bill. If you'd like to support this show, you can go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and a review. Or you can head to MaximumFun.org join, become a member, and get all the bonus content. I appreciate you listening. We'll see you next week on The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.